This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Lord, we come to you tonight and we ask that you would speak to us. As we look at your scripture, we pray that you would actually do more than inform our mind. We pray that you would inform our mind. Uh, but we pray that you would do more than that. You would speak to our souls, that our, our very spirits would, uh, would be affected by what we hear tonight from your word. Lord, we pray that though this is familiar verses and a familiar story, uh, that it wouldn't be familiar tonight, that you would break through with a fresh joy. And Lord, there's some of us in the room that have heard this many times, and yet we've never, uh, well, we've never met you personally. We've never engaged in a relationship with you. And I pray tonight that would change, that you would give new life uh, to those who need you in the room tonight. So Lord, meet us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, we are in Luke 2. I'm going to read the first seven verses because this is the context of uh, Jesus' birth. Pretty significant and important. But I really want to concentrate only on the announcement of his birth, which begins in verse 8. And really, most of the entire uh, time of my talk, I'm going to speak about uh, verse 10 alone. So we're going to read the story, but concentrate on verse 10. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is blessed. Tonight, I want to talk about Christmas joy. Christmas joy. We've had two sermons in a row on suffering, uh, because we're in 1 Peter, and so uh, I thought we would uh, not speak about Christmas suffering uh, tonight, but I would speak on Christmas joy. And in our culture, if you look around our culture, there is a real emphasis on joy at this time of the year. I mean, just look around. There are decorations everywhere. There are lights, trees. Uh, there are surprises at this time of the year, parties. Uh, people take time off work. There's gift giving. Uh, fee- people take time off school. 
uh, there's feasting, uh, traveling to be with families and friends. There's music, 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 music playing everywhere you go. Uh, joyful music about Christmas. The children are excited. Um, people are singing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I'll quote it and not sing it to spare you. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And so it's a time where in our culture, there is a tremendous amount of joy externally. There's just a, a lot of celebration going on, but it's not joyful for everyone. Because what is so ironic is that this is a a time of year where many people uh, feel a tremendous amount of discouragement and not joy at all. Hospitals report high incidence of suicide and attempted suicide at this time of the year. Mental health professionals see a rise in counselees uh, bringing in describing depression uh, at this time of the year. I read an article about Christmas depression, um, not Christmas joy, but Christmas depression in the magazine Psychology Today. And in that magazine, the author gave what I thought was a very insightful and likely accurate diagnosis. Uh, his prescription and answers, uh, I could take or leave, but his diagnosis, I could take. I thought it was very, very good. This is what he said. The reason that people in the American culture experience depression that many do at Christmas is because they have unrealistic expectations and excessive self-reflection. That's what he said. So it's a time where the expectations are for the perfect Christmas It's impossible to fulfill all the expectations that circumstantially there will be a happiness and a joy that will be unbelievable this time of year. And it will be perfect. Yet at the same time, there's this excessive self-reflection where people are looking inward. They're comparing themselves with others. They're not feeling what they're hoping to feel at this time of year. They're aware more of what they don't have than what they do have. And when this combines together, many people experience discouragement. Uh, discouragement, blues on one end, and desperation on the other end. So it's not a time where everybody experiences joy. And many people who do experience joy, it's sort of a circumstantial, temporary joy uh, that sort of lasts as long as the tree. And when it dies, so their joy is found out on the curb to be hauled off to the dumpster as well. (laughs) So tonight I want to talk about real joy. And I want to address... Um, those of us who experience sort of a surface joy, maybe the trappings, the cultural tra- and I'm for the cultural trappings. I'm not here to bash any cultural trappings whatsoever. I'm just here to say that if the depth of your joy is the cultural trappings, it won't last and it's not sustaining. So those of us who have sort of an external sort of happiness that goes because we just have some warm feelings about the songs and the food and uh, the gifts or whatever, I want to address real joy to those of us who experience that. On the other hand, for those of us who experience real loneliness and sadness, there's some in the room tonight battling real depression. This brings up bad memories or unfulfilled longings, or as the article I quoted said, unfulfilled expectations and a lot of self-evaluation that looks inward. I want to address those as well. And then everybody in between, uh, which is all of us, because ultimately joy is not found from self-reflection this time of year. Joy is not found from circumstances working out just as I hope they work out this year. Joy is found 
in the person of Christmas. And joy is embedded in the very story that we just read. We read about the birth of Jesus, how they had traveled because of the census so that they could be registered for taxation purposes. Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem. They had had the baby. And then the angels, these, this angel followed by angels, plural, this angel appears to shepherds. And from the very beginning of the story and the heart of it, we see that this is an announcement of great joy. That's the language that's used in verse 10. The angel said, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And so the resulting experience of hearing and believing the good news is to be great joy. And to know the joy of Christmas, it only comes from knowing, as I said earlier, the person of Christmas. It does not come from the idyllic, perfect, hallmark scenario. It doesn't come from there. It comes from the person of Christmas, the person of Christ. So let's look at the story, or the announcement rather, a little bit. It says in verse 8 that, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So this was the shepherd's joy. They had a job. They had to guard uh, the sheep from robbers. They had to guard the sheep from predators, wild animals and such. And so it was a round-the-clock job. Somebody's got the evening shift. So they're out at night watching uh, their sheep. They are taking care of them. And then, surprisingly, it says in verse 9, an angel appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they are filled with great fear. So one of the things that's interesting about the biblical account is that the announcement is made to shepherds. Uh, shepherds were very low. That, that job uh, was very low in terms of status in the culture. So they are sort of a low-status Uh, kind of a person, probably looked down upon by some. Um, And God comes to regular people to announce this good news and to announce the joy of the good news. Regular working folk on the night shift um, that's who he comes to, to bring this joyous good news. He doesn't come, he's, they're not prophets, they're not priests, they're not religiously significant. Matter of fact, they're unclean religiously because of their job. So they are, they are not folks that you would expect, but they're the ones that God announces this good news to. And then it says that they are filled with great fear because what happens is there's a light that shines when the angel comes. The glory of the Lord shines around them. The glory of the Lord is the emanating light from the presence of God. The very presence of God emanates a blinding, holy, blazing light, and they are covered in it. And so they are terribly, terribly afraid. And the first thing the angel says to them is, don't be afraid, because the message I'm bringing you is not a message of judgment. I'm not coming to tell you uh, that you are in trouble. I'm coming to tell you there is good news. The fact is you are in trouble, but there is good news to deliver you from said trouble. And so he, the angel explains, I'm coming with good news of great joy. The ESV that I'm re- reading from tonight says, the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The NIV translates it, Um, that do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's probably the sense of the original writing, that this good news has a cause, uh, that it it has an effect, rather. It will bring joy to all the people. And then he goes on and says, why? Why? Well, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
the joy is tied in the announcement to the person that he's announcing. He is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Those three titles are never used at the same time in the same verse anywhere in the Bible but right here. And he says, this is, the, this is what's exciting, is that a person is coming and he uses labels, Savior, Christ, the Lord. And I believe that to know and experience the joy, the great joy, good news that will cause great joy. They had great fear, it says, now they're going to have great joy. To experience great joy at Christmas or any time of the year, to experience deep, profound, lasting, not surface giddiness, but lasting, significant, great joy is, is found by knowing the one who is described here. Because there's great joy found in knowing the Savior. There's a great joy in knowing Christ, and there's a great joy in knowing the Lord. So I'm going to talk uh, about each of those, uh, each of those t- titles, and then we will be done. So the first one is the good news of a Savior brings great joy. So he says, good news that will bring great joy uh, unto you is born, first of all, a Savior. Savior. Now, we tend to think of that in very, um, well, either we don't know what that means, or we just think it sounds like real, like a real religious kind of a sounding name, Savior. Though we do use that, we do use that language some. But probably the best way to understand it is that a Savior is one who saves or one who delivers, or a word that we might commonly use is rescue. It's deliverance in the sense of rescue. A savior is one who, who saves, who brings salvation. In this sense, salvation can mean an event of rescue from great danger in which a person is unable to save themselves. A salvation is an event of rescue from great danger in which a person is unable to save themselves. So this, the term Savior carries with it, with it the idea of delivering someone who's in danger, in peril. Delivering someone who's trapped, uh, danger, rescuing someone who cannot, cannot free themselves or rescue themselves. A, a rescuer, a Savior, comes and helps someone who is unable to save themselves. If you thought about a building, a tall building uh, on fire and someone at the top of the building in a burning building needing rescue, their only choice is to jump and die or for someone to get up there um, and free them, for a fire, firefighter to climb a ladder and free them. That's the picture of rescue, a person who cannot rescue themselves. And this is why it's good news, because these angels coming, the angel says, there is one who is born for you, unto you. There's one born to you today in Bethlehem, and this one is the Savior, the one who comes to bring rescue. Now, here's the problem. None of us in the room feel like we're at the top of a burning building. We don't feel like we're in need of rescue. Most people aren't here today saying, call 911, I'm in trouble. We don't feel that way. We feel... Uh, most of us uh, feel like, okay, everything may not be going the way I want it to go in life. Everything's not perfect, but I'm not in imminent peril. And so I don't, why would I need to be rescued? Why would I need to be delivered? I'm, I'm a free person. I'm, I'm okay. Well, the Bible tells us the reason. Because in Matthew 1, an angel appears to Joseph, who's the father here, and says to him, 
that Mary will give birth. And he says this, she, uh, Matthew one twenty one. she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves. You are to give him the name God saves because he will save his people from their sins. This is what he says. So Jesus is coming. You're to name him God saves because he comes as a savior, a rescuer. Why? Because he will rescue people from their sins. And the very fact we're not aware or feel like we need rescue, that, that's an indication that we do. That is the deceptiveness of sin. The Bible teaches that we are all by nature sinners, that we break God's law found in his scripture. God's word teaches that we are to uh, live a, a life of perfection, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we're to love God with everything we are, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And yet, we, no one can accomplish that. No one lives by that. I don't live every second of my day for Christ. I don't live every second of my day preferring others over myself to love my neighbor. Um, and so we all sin in all kinds of ways, in words, in thoughts, in actions, in deeds, in things we do that are wrong, and in things that we fail to do that are right. And so we are all sinful by nature. And the Bible teaches that because of that, we all deserve uh, judgment for our sins, that we deserve to experience uh, God's judgment for our uh, sins against him, our resistance against him, our rejection of him, our going our own way, our failure to keep his word uh, perfectly, or even close to perfectly for that matter. So we all deserve that And so we need to be rescued from that judgment. We need to be rescued from the penalty that is due our our sins, that we all have earned. We need to be rescued from the power of sin as well. And so though we may not feel it tonight, there is a day we will feel it because there is a day that every one of us will die and we will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. And we will be very well aware at that moment that we need rescue. The problem is we can't rescue ourselves. Deep down, we all think that we can somehow do something to rescue ourselves. I mean, even if we have a sense in our conscience that we're not, you know, we're not probably right with God. There's probably something wrong between us and God. You know, we probably have done some wrong things and failed to do everything that he wants us to do, commands us to do. And so the reality is that we all are aware of that, and we can try to think that we can rescue ourselves. We think, uh, you know, well, uh, I'll just do some things that will make myself right with God. I'll make some sacrifices, and I'll help needy people. I'll be a generous person. I'll be a kind person. I'll be an honest person. Uh, I'll try to be a good neighbor to other people. And we sort of think that maybe we can do that. Or maybe we'll be religious. I'll, I'll go to church more in the next year. I'll read my Bible. Or I'll pray or give some money. You know, maybe I'll do some things like that that will kind of make me better off with God. But the reality is we can never do anything to make ourselves right with a holy God. We can't make ourselves. We can't start right now living a perfect life and making ourselves right with God. Even if that was possible and it's not, we still have an entire lifetime a history behind us. So that's impossible. We can't rescue ourselves. We are in imminent peril. We are in imminent danger. We don't feel it. We don't know it, but it's the reality. And so the angel says, God has sent one to bring rescue, to save you 
from your sins. And that is Jesus who will live a perfect life and will die on a cross for our sins and will be raised on the third day. And anyone who has faith in him, who believes that he's our substitute, who lived a perfect life for us and died for us, if we believe that, then we can experience forgiveness for all of our sins. We can experience a new life. We can be rescued. We can be saved from our sins, from the penalty of our sins, and we can be better than just saved from them. We can be joined to God. We can be reconciled with the God we've sinned against. We can be reconciled with our Father, be adopted into his family, welcomed and loved by him. So it's good news because a rescuer has come to rescue us from our greatest need. Good news, that will bring great joy. Next, uh, the angel says it will be uh, uh, Savior. For unto you is born this day, the city of David, a Savior who is Christ. So the good news of Christ is to bring great joy as well. Now, the word Christ is the same word as the word Messiah. Messiah is the word from Hebrew. Christ is the word from Greek. But it's the same thing. It literally means smeared with oil. Um, it, it, means to be, it, it means to be anointed with oil. This was the ceremony that happened uh, when someone was anointed, appointed. The, the ceremony that recognized someone as a king. When someone became king, they were smeared with oil. Oil was poured upon them. That was called anointing. It was being set in, uh, in a position of rulership. So Christ means the one who is anointed as king. The one who is, we could say, the one who is chosen. And so he's saying, this is really good news because now the chosen king that Israel has waited for, he is born today in the city of David. (laughs) And the Jews, they were waiting for him to come. For instance, Isaiah 9 says this, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is written a long time before Jesus came. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the shepherds are hearing today is born the one that Isaiah talked about, the one who will, the government will be upon his shoulders, the one who is a son of David. That is, the, David was the great king in the Old Testament. So he'll be like, this, in that line, Joseph is from the family of David. He'll be in that line, but he'll be greater than that king. He'll be the prince of peace, the everlasting father. He'll be the mighty God. And so they waited, they were waiting and anticipating the Messiah to deliver them, to come and bring his rule and his reign. And they're hearing tonight he has come and he's telling, they're telling it to ordinary folk. The ordinary folks here, God, the King has come for you unto you is born this King. Such good news. And it's good news for us as well. Great news that Jesus is the king who rules over all things. That's our confidence tonight, that Jesus rules over all the details of our lives. And we've all got questions about things in our lives. We've all got struggles. We've all got things that 
uh, aren't working out the way we hoped for. None of us has a perfect script for his or her life, but we have a king who rules and reigns over all. And the Bible makes clear he will come back. And when he comes back, he will make all things right. He will right all wrongs. He will execute justice over every injustice that anyone has ever experienced. So this king will come back. He will, uh, and all of our hopes will be fulfilled in him. He will bring a reign of glory and perfection in a new heavens and a new earth. So that's what we have to look forward. The Christ has come. He rules and reigns now, even though we don't see him with our eyes. But we're confident that he rules sovereignly over the details of our lives. Our king has come and he rules and reigns. That's good news and brings joy because I'm not in control of the universe of my life. God is. Christ has come. The anointed chosen one has come to rule. So the Savior has come. The Christ has come. And then lastly, he says, the Lord. The Lord has come. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, very likely the shepherds didn't really understand what all that meant. That the one who's come would save them. That the one who's come would be the anointed one that Israel was waiting for. But also that the one who would come would be God himself, the Lord. God himself. I mean, this is mind-blowing, that the announcement is God has come to earth and he's lying in a feeding trough a couple miles away. Astounding news. This is good news of great joy, that God hasn't said to us, clean yourself up, and when you get cleaned up, you come to me. He doesn't say that. God says, even if you weren't looking for me, I'm coming to you. God humbles himself in the person of Jesus Christ and comes to us. He doesn't come at a distance. He doesn't stay at a distance. He comes right in the middle to the mess of our lives, to the sin of our lives, to the weakness of our lives, to the ignorance of our lives, to the rebellion of our lives. He comes right into the mess of the world, and there he is uh, in Jesus Christ in, in an animal stable, in a feeding trough. He comes humbly. He doesn't come with great fanfare. He comes humbly. Well, I guess the, the shepherds would say it was great fanfare. It was to them to see this vision of the angel. But he doesn't come universally with great fanfare. He comes with great humility. And the reason this is good news is he's not saying, you act good enough and I'll accept you. He's saying, I'm going to come and be one of you as a man. He is like us. He is a man. He's unlike us because he's God, but he's like us as a man. He says, I'm going to come into your world and I'm going to be tempted by everything you're tempted by, the Bible says. And yet he never sinned. I'm going to know grief and sorrow. I'm going to know the heartache of life that we experience. He's a God who has come near us and has experienced what, he, what we've experienced. And that means, the Bible says, he is a sympathetic God with us, that he understands us. He can relate to us. He, can, he cares about us. He doesn't just say, it would be enough, frankly, I think. It would be enough for God to say, I created everything. I'm omniscient. That that, that would be a sufficient point for him to identify with us. He made me and knows everything about me. That's a point of identification. But he goes beyond that by mercy and says, I'm going to become one of you. And I'm going to suffer 
and die on the cross for you. So this is good news of great joy, that he is fully man, but he is also fully God, so that he can obey in our place. He has come to us, the Lord, joy to the the world, the Lord has come. So the angel says, I'm going to tell you some really good news, and it will cause great joy for all people. It will cause great joy, and that is The rescuer has come to free you from your sins. The king has come to rule over you now and to eternally rule gloriously beyond what you can imagine. And the king has come who is God himself, the Lord, to come near you. And the very last idea I want to bring up is that that's good news of great joy, but it is good news of great joy, he says, unto you. It wasn't just generic news. It was news for them that they acted on and responded to. They didn't just say, boy, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing and go back to messing with sheep. When they heard the news, they went uh, They went and saw this thing which they'd heard of, this child which they had heard of. They acted, they responded, they believed, and they shared the news with other people. It's not enough to be just intellectually aware. Well, that's a nice story or religiously aware. Boy, that's a, you know, that that's an interesting spiritual leader there, Jesus, and how he started humbly. It's not enough just to be aware that way. We must identify with him personally as our savior, as our king, as our Lord, that, that he is our Lord. As Thomas said, you're my Lord and my God. Not just a religious figure, not just a philosopher, not just a good teacher, not just a martyr who died for a noble cause, but the Savior who rescues us from our sins when we turn from them and believe in him. The king who will rule eternal, eternally over sin, we will be in his kingdom if we receive him as king by faith. And the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, who we can be reconciled with and in union with by faith. And so... If you've never met Jesus, if you've never known this king personally, then I want to challenge you and call you to believe, to turn from your sins and to trust in him, realizing that you need rescue, that you're in a predicament that's far worse than you know, and one day will be more real than you can imagine when you stand before God as a sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we all are. As one who stands before a holy God and has to give account for your life, you can either give an account for your life, you will be found guilty, everyone will, and be condemned for your sin, or you can believe in Jesus and Jesus will take your place, take your punishment as the one on the cross. And he rose to defeat the power of sin. And you can stand before the father and say, I'm with him. He took my sin. He covered me and be welcomed into God's kingdom eternally, receiving him as your savior, receiving him as your king and receiving him as your Lord. If you've never done that, then that's the greatest gift of all. Jesus is a gift. And so you receive him as a gift, you believe in him, and he will forgive your sins. That is a promise. Jesus said, I will not turn anyone away, cast out, he said, I will not turn anyone away who comes to me. If you come to him by faith, turning from your sin, he will receive you guaranteed. Guaranteed. If you are a Christian, you have believed in him, then I want to challenge you to experience uh, this great joy afresh this year. To pause. Man, it is so busy, is it not? We just need to pause and stop and get this book out that tells us the story and read afresh. 
and, and ask the Lord to fill our heart with wonder. We're so familiar. Lord, fill my heart with wonder so that the good news isn't like just a religious message to me, but it brings great joy, great joy that will sustain me from the pains of my life, the losses, the griefs of my life, and we all have them. And so for some of us, we're relatively happy now, but the things we're excited about are pretty surfacy, pretty surfacy. And when a shaking comes, that's all going to go. That's all going to go. I've had two houses. Thank you very much. That have had foundation damage, failure Two. it's happened twice. I'm an expert. I know about this. And my most recent house, the one I'm in now, they appeared it. Here's what happened. Uh, the ground moves, my house moves, cracks come. Uh, it ain't worth anything. So they have to come fix my house. So what they do is they repair, well, they come first of all, repair it cosmetically. Oh, let's just paint over it. Yeah. Well, those cracks are coming back. Okay. So they come back and then what they had to do is they have to dig 35 to 37 feet below my house and they have to take piers and attach them to bedrock and then attach the piers to the house, all over the house, to the foundation. They attach it there, and then they jack it up like a car jack. They jack the house up on these piers, and it's attached not to the ground that it's on, but it's attached way below the surface on something that's secure and will not move. So the ground still moves all around my house. It gets dry, it gets wet, it expands, and it contracts. But my house, God, to date, may it it remain. My house, because I can't do a third one. My house, moving to a hotel if it happens again. So my house is on a firm foundation. And that's an illustration of how many of us are, man. We live on the surface, and we're joyful right now. But December 26th is coming. And then we'll party for January 1st. But guess what? January 2nd and 3rd, and you'll be back in the office or on the job, what, at school. January 4th is coming. And if it's just the surface, it's gone. And and if it's just based on circumstances, it's gone. And if it's self-reflection, how am I doing and where's my life at? It's gone. But if you're dug deep, attached in your heart, your mind and your affections, attached to the Savior, the King the Lord, then that is a depth of joy that holds you up. Even in difficult times, we still cry and grieve over the loss. We still face disappointment as Christians, but God intends us to have a deep joy that sustains us and holds us up so that we can say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And that's what the Lord wants for us this Christmas. I'm all for the trappings. I'm all for the meals. If you do what uh, the whole deal, get the lights, get the tree, uh, get frosty. I don't care what you do. Sing jingle bells, whatever. Do it all. I'm, I'm not opposed to any of that stuff, but we want a joy that goes way deeper than jingle bells. Okay. We want, we want to attach our heart's affection to Jesus. And that's why it says, this is good news of great joy to you. Have you received him to you is born a savior, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.